0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
2: Something is happening to American popular culture. Something not good. It's happening on television and even in the movies. A threat is growing like a noxious, invasive weed, choking out all that we know and love about entertainment today. And it has a name. Betty White. (coughs) Betty White is taking over our nation's airwaves. Nearly every sitcom, drama, public affairs program, talk show and news magazine now features Betty White. Why? How did we let this happen? In the 1900s, the Japanese weed kudzu was introduced to the American South to control erosion and for use as a foraging material for livestock. It spread easily, too easily. Then, it got out of control. Today, kudzu is tangling the shores of the Great Lakes and like a drunk Michiganian, threatens to invade Canada. (laughs) Also in the 1900s, Betty White was introduced into show business. She controlled America's eroding love of laughter and provided foraging material for the entertainment hungry. But now she too has grown out of control. Will she soon threaten our good Canadian neighbors? No, she must be stopped. Someone must draw the line. Now there's a program that doesn't depend on Betty White's affable charm and wholesome lovability like a crutch. A show with entertainment completely devoid of Betty White. Until she returns our calls. Call us, please, Betty. Call us now. This is that program. It's... It's... Live Fire! From the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, where Crossey was discovered in 2009, covering Betty White... It's Livewire! And now it's the host of Livewire, who apologizes to Michiganders, but come on, Michiganians just sounded funnier,
1: Courtney Hameister! Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, Just like two weeks ago when we did our show from the Wordstock Book Festival at the Aladdin Theatre... Um, this show tonight is rather literary as well We have a couple of writers from Novel Live It's a Seattle event where 36 Northwest writers wrote a novel in six days In front of a live and virtual audience Jenny Shortridge and Jamie Ford are going to be here Two of the writers who worked on that to explain how that worked We also have the lead singer of Richmond Fontaine Who has written another book Willie Vlotten is here to give us a glimpse And to lean on Pete, his latest book And uh, BuzzZine.com calls our musical guest's recent record, Write Me a Novel. Sweet, heartbreaking, and as good a debut as anyone could wish to produce, Sean Flynn and the Royal We are with us tonight. (laughs) But first, please meet the members of Faces for Radio Theatre, Mr. Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, the beautiful Laura Faye Smith. Tonight, our fill-in, Foley, fabulous artist is Mr. David Ian poet Scott Poole, the author of Hiding From Salesmen*, will take a single hour, the amount of time in which most poets sip whiskey and ponder maybe writing a poem at a later date. Perhaps if they feel like it, he is going to write a poem about everything that he's seen over the course of the night and help us digest it. Please welcome Scott Poole to the show. <laughs> Scott, you'd best go start writing. And we wouldn't be able to do it without our funky house band, Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops. Thanks, Ralph. So as I said, we're going to have Willie Vlotten on the show later, uh, just one of our favorite guests, wonderful writer, wonderful man, and he's brought his latest novel, Lead on Pete, with him, and it's such a beautiful book. It's centered around this 15-year-old kid and a racetrack. It's, it's all set in Portland, and this kid does not have an easy life. He, he sees some pretty rough times, and there's some violence in the book, and I don't think I'm giving away too much when I, when I say that. There's violence in lots of books. There was violence in Jaws. Um, but I realized something as I was reading it, and there's, there are things that happened to a lot of the people in the book, and I read it, and it was rough, violent things happened to them. But at one point, an animal got injured, and I started bawling like a baby. Just just a ch- I was sitting on my couch, I was chewing on a slice of apple and just sobbing. Have you ever been to that website, uh, Eating While Crying? Anyone seen that? Excellent website. Just like that. I wish I would have had a video camera, because I'd be on it this week. <laughs> Um, But anyway, it just made me wonder, why is that? It's the same thing in movies, right? Yes, it was terrible when Deborah Winger died at the end of those eight movies of cancer, but what are the moments that really hit us, that are really devastating? Old Yeller, right? When Bambi's mom died. Uh, When Barney the dinosaur was in that horrible thresher accident. That, That didn't actually happen, but if it did, we'd be really upset, wouldn't we? Ugh. Um... No, I, and I thought, well, maybe maybe it has something to do with the fact that animals are incapable of snark. It seems like as humans, we've just hardened ourselves to each other so much with anonymous internet comments and this giant collective case of schadenfreude whenever anything happens to anybody famous and jokes about celebrity deaths popping up on Twitter before the body's cold. We may have stopped being fans of humans altogether, it feels like. Just try it, actually. All it takes to lose your utter faith in humanity is to spend five minutes reading the comments on YouTube. Have you done this? It's horrifying. If there's, it doesn't matter what's in the video. Someone wants it to kill itself. If it's a kitten, it's that kitten should kill itself. I don't know what it's doing in the... City. Oh, wh- why is everyone so angry? I don't know. I have anger, but I take it out in my car, like everyone else, right? That's where we do all our screaming. No one can he- no one can see you in your car either, right? It's magical. It's a magical place where no one can see or hear you. That's not true, is it? Damn it! In any case, so so I was just thinking, you know, as long as we don't allow our pets to have internet access, then then things will then things will remain the same. You know, um, if you whack a human in the back of the head, hilarious. Whack a dog in the back of the head and you have an angry torch-wielding mob just in time for the holidays. Um, Maybe we'll talk to Willie Vlotten about that a little bit later. Uh, But first, let's get on with the show. Uh, Our next guest plays the kind of rollicking, jangly warm pop that makes the Northwest music scene really great. John Roderick of the Long Winters once said that the difference between the Seattle and Portland music scene is that the Seattle bands are insular, and Portland, quote, has so many side projects involving banjos and Casios that it resembles a Fibonacci sequence. <laughs> so in other words, people in Portland bands like to help each other out. And each time he plays, Sean Flynn brings some of the Northwest best musicians with him from bands like E La Bamba, The Decemberists*, Sally Ford and The Sound Outside, and Locke Lamond*. With songs from his recent release, Write Me a Novel, please welcome Sean Flynn and the Royal We to (laughs) Livewire.
3: The long road makes for a patient heart The long road makes for a patient heart You get far enough away, you'll get back to the start The long road makes for a patient heart The long road makes for a patient heart Feel my pulse, it's the rhythm of a dotted line time to time Who lives out here Who tends these fields There's an old man Praying for better yield There's an old man Praying for better yield There's a hawk on a fence Post staring at me Hawk with your black eyes What do you see? Tell me if a man is cage free. Hawk with your black eyes, what do you see? Hawk with your black eyes, what do you see? At the Brown Hotel When you get far enough away, you'll get back to the start The long road makes for a patient heart The long road makes for a patient heart
1: Later in the show, to sing another song. And for more information about Sean Flynn or to download the album, go to SeanFlynnMusic.com. That's S E A N F L I N N music.com or iTunes. Thank you. <laughs> That was Sean Flynn and the Royal We, and you're listening to Live Wire Radio with music, conversation, and comedy. We're like a great date, but without the awkward sex part. Coming up, Jamie Ford and Jenny Shortridge, Willie Vlaughton, and poet Scott Poole. We'll be right back. <laughs>
4: This week on VH1's Behind the Song, we look at songwriter Paula Cole and her huge hit that became the theme song for Dawson's Creek, I Don't Wanna Wait. While writing that song, Paula was filming a documentary that never aired until now. We join her as she plays the first lines for her air to four unknown writing partner, Sherman Wills. So, open up
2: your morning light and say a little prayer for I. You know that if we are to stay alive and see the peace in every eye. Ugh, I don't know really where it goes from there. No, no, it's good. It's really catchy. Um, can you sing that first line again? Which one? Open up your morning light and say a little prayer for I. You know yeah, that. Yeah, that's it right there. You have to change that. Why? Um, well, you can't flout the rules of grammar just because you need to rhyme.
0: What does he mean?
2: What does who mean? They. Who are you talking about?
0: Them. Forget it, geez.
2: Yeah, well, anyway, you can't sing say a little prayer for I. You know, it's just awkward.
0: Um.
4: Yeah, well, who else would these be praying for?
2: These? Nobody. Paula, do you not understand how pronouns work? (laughs) Mm, Me don't know what it's talking about Oh my god You don't You don't understand how pronouns work (laughs) He's crazy Who's he? I'm the only one here
4: Exactly, so why even ask the question?
2: Alright, if you're referring to me Then you would say you're crazy
4: That doesn't make any sense Why not? Because me not crazy, he's
2: crazy Right, okay, you're pointing at me Are you Tonto? Is this like bizarro world? Are you Bizarro Tonto?
1: Okay, now
2: she's getting offended. Who is she? Do you have multiple personalities? Me, I'm an artist, Sherman. Ugh, how have you survived this long without... Oh, did you grow up in Finland? Because I know they don't have gender-based pronouns, but still, you seem to screw up all of them, not just... The... Get out!
0: Get out of here before it throws you out!
2: Oh, my God. You, Paula Cole, you are incredibly annoying. The only thing I can hope is that this song doesn't become popular with impressionable teenagers for any reason. I'm leaving. I am leaving. Me. Get it? Whatever.
4: Later that year, after Warner Brothers Records paid for months of sessions with renowned pronoun coach Dr. Hildegard von Klingen, Paula finally released the song that had previously been titled, Me No Wanna Wait, and... I Don't Wanna Wait, reached number 11 on the American Pop charts. This has been VH1's Behind the Song.
1: Jenny Shortridge has written four novels, including her latest, When She Flew, and Jamie Ford is the author of the New York Times bestseller On the Corner of Bitter and Sweet. But apparently, you know those accomplishments aren't enough for them. They both participated recently in Novel Live. It's an event that Jenny and fellow writer Garth Stein put together in Seattle. This just happened last week. It brought together 36 writers who, over the course of six days, wrote over 72,000 words live in front of an audience. Whatever they typed, mistakes and all, was projected onto a screen on stage and on the web, and in the end, the writers raised over $10,000 for various Northwest literacy programs. Here to talk about what it was like, please welcome Jenny Short rich and jamie ford to livewire <laughs> welcome to the show hey, uh, jamie Thanks. and jenny so, first of all, uh, Jenny, you were, you, were, you were involved in organizing this whole thing. That's correct. What, for, what made you decide to do this crazy thing? Why the hell did we do it?
5: Yes. Yeah, well, um, you know, I used to be a Portlander. I was here for three, three short years, and I miss it so much, but I moved to Seattle five years ago, and I was lonely. Um, and Garstein and I put together a group of writers called Seattle Seven Writers with, at the time, seven authors, but you know, there's tons of authors up here in the Northwest, so... Um, we decided we would like to showcase Northwest authors and do it in a really big, unusual, weird way because that's how we are up here in the Northwest. Awesome. And so we thought, why not have writers do it every other performer, you know, artist gets to do and do it live in front of the whole world as we do it. And so uh, we decided to showcase 36 authors, put them on stage, have them write live, not just in the venue, which was Hugo House up in Seattle, but also online, and we had a big online community. But truthfully, the uh, real reason was to raise money, you know, because we do have kind hearts as well. So raising money for literacy in the Northwest was um, a big part of it, actually.
1: Now we're, yeah, definitely. $10,000 is a lot of money. So were there any parameters that you gave to the writers, or was there any discussion prior to starting this, this project? This monster project. Well,
5: Jamie and I might have different answers to that. We'll, we'll see. Um, we had three rules. One was uh, you can't say, and then I woke up. You. Uh, oh gosh, what was the second one? Now I'm, now I'm going to lose it. Well, all I know is that the third one was no chainsaws. Really? Um, no chainsaws. Did you get that in your memo? Yeah, yeah okay.
6: basically, we can't have aliens from heaven come down and uh, rescue the protagonist of the last one. Right. Second, you know. No Deus Aside from ex from that, machina. It's all
1: good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh Jenny you were the f- you wrote the first chapter i did um, from it was from ten to twelve in the morning. Um, what was it like to write with an audience and to sort of have have that responsibility of starting the whole thing to kick it off <laughs> is
5: actually the easiest spot to write because I didn't have to follow anyone and incorporate anything they had written. I was fresh and I didn't have to think about anything other than getting the story off to a good bang. We did have a sto- an editorial board put together a story idea. So and we did I compulsively and obsessively put together a story map for all the authors to follow. But nevertheless, I could just kind of free wing it and kind of had fun because a lot of people did come and sit and watch which was unusual and there were lots of classrooms streaming it um, across the country actually and I would ask questions like what does a pirate keep under her sink? And people would answer me from the audience, and you know we had lots of people participating online because we had a live chat going the whole time. So,
1: so you actually were able to see the live chat as you're writing and we to had ask a lovely, questions we had it? lovely
5: tech people who were there in this in the booth, um, including my husband Matt, and they would chat with us. They would let us in on the chat.
1: So this map that you're talking about that you created, did this map happen after you started it, and then
5: no, we wrote it. Uh, we came up with a story idea one week before the story started, before the writing started, and I created the map over the next three or four days, trying really hard to get it to the authors in time so they could study it. So this
1: one's for for both of you, and um, I know Jamie, you actually wrote at the end of this, so you did <laughs> yeah, have yeah. to incorporate all of all yeah. of these people's uh, storylines. Yeah, I had to
6: follow uh, 32 other authors, so I was like, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's taking everyone else's lead. I had like, to go sloppy 33rds, you know, that was, was a little, <laughs> <laughs> little <laughs> strange right. to, uh, to kind of to kind of pick up the uh, yeah, I have a whole new respect for porn stars now. So that whole performance. <laughs> right. thing. <so. laughs>
1: right. Right. Um, well, and uh, so how did it change for for either of you? How did it change your writing to have people watching you do it?
5: Yeah,
6: that was that was the weird part. Is is there were people at the Hugo House who were there to see you perform live, and there were you know tons of people online kind of watching your every move in real time. But then there you just have someone idly wandering in looking for a mocha or a sort of, you know, <laughs> yeah. where's the bathroom it's kind of in the back um yeah it was this really uh crazy kind of performance aspect to it that i thought was a was a blast i mean writers work you know our, our writing habits are very similar to the unabomber you know we're sort of cloistered away somewhere yeah. writing by herself to have this kind of a audience was a Blast.
1: Well and it wasn't just that there was an audience but suddenly these people who who do generally work on their own are forced to <laughs> yeah. work as a collective so yeah. what were some of the were there bumps along that road at all? Did people just ignore in some case? Did anybody just ignore where the story was going and kind of take it in their own place?
5: Uh, surprisingly not surprisingly everyone stuck to the general storyline. Now they introduced all kinds of crazy stuff as they went along um, <laughs> and we would go okay we now have a xyz in the story that we had never anticipated having but for the most part they stuck to the story and they actually liked writing live most of them you know we always think writers are introverts and a lot of us are but um there's something about getting up there and strutting your stuff you know you haven't ever been able to do it so
1: so did you have pieces of of things that that both of you wrote that you really liked a lot i mean do you have anything that you wanted to to read or
5: quote Sure. We'll read a little for you. Now, keep in mind, though, that this is first draft as it came out of our fingers onto the thing. So you'll, you'll hear it, just the way that it was created. And that doesn't mean it's beautiful or wonderful, but it just is. So because I wrote the beginning, I'm just going to do, I hope, a quick couple of paragraphs for you. Our protagonist's name is Alexis, and she lives in a residential hotel. And uh, that's all you need to know except for that her mother is missing. After school, Alexis ran in through the back door into the kitchen, slung her book bag onto the table, and started to get things out for tea. Her mother's good silver tea set, platters for the fig, Newman's, and granola bars all the residents preferred over cookies Alexis loved, like Oreos and Chips Ahoy. In the leaded crystal decanter, she poured her mother's pheno sherry. Her mother had taken it medicinally every day at 4 p.m., and many of the residents had taken up the habit, some drinking it clear through to bedtime. Alexis carried the heavy train to the parlor where old Ursula had already parked her peg, leg, and knitting bag. A former seafare pirate, Ursula still liked to speak in pirate parlance. Arrgh, she said to Alexis, you're ten minutes late.
1: <laughs> Jamie?
6: And uh, 30 chapters later... <laughs> we'll, we'll get the cliffs notes out to you later. Um... Alexa stared up at the partially pregnant sky, typical Seattle, overcast with a hopeful, glowing luminescence. She wished it would rain. She wished it would make up its mind. She wished she could. Looking down, she regarded the hole in the ground, her resting place for her mother, swiftly dug with a trowel Otto had purloined from an Army surplus store. The makeshift grave looked meager, unceremonial compared to the massive granite headstones that dotted the damp, mossy hillside of Lakeview Cemetery. Milling about the dewy grass were a collective of residents, past and present, all but Mia. Maybe she was bringing flowers. Alexis thought anything might brighten up the assortment that Mr. Kenji had provided. Greenery from the hotel, potted plants, and planted pot.
1: Nice. (laughs) Now, there were some glitches. What were some of the sort of
5: glitches that people ran into over the we had one horrible night with a young author named Jarrett Middleton he was nearing the end of his two hour stint and he had been wailing away at that keyboard baby in a very surrealist way and um, all of a sudden his words started disappearing off the screen just started scrolling backward the cursor just going up and up and up and took five paragraphs for us to realize that the delete key was stuck on the keyboard it was one of those wireless keyboards don't use a wireless keyboard (laughs) that
1: was scary well, and this is going to be an e-book, right, in That's the right. future. Do you think you're going to do it again?
5: Uh, that remains to be seen. If we get enough sleep, uh, we want to do something like it. It was pretty fun showcasing all those authors, absolutely. Definitely.
1: Well, and it was obviously highly successful.
5: Yeah, well, yeah. way more than we ever thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. Definitely got to do it again.
1: Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us, you guys. Jenny Shortridge and Jamie Ford for from Live.
0: You're
2: listening to Livewire, the radio show that loves variety as much as you do, if you love it. If you don't love it, we love it more than you do. If you love variety so much that you're stalking it, we love it a little less. If you live in the Portland area, come to our next live show at the Alberta Rose Theater. For more information, visit our website at livewireradio.org.
1: And for more information on Novel Live, you can go to novellive.org.
4: Honey, do we really have to do this? Dinner at the Johnson's? All they do is argue.
1: I know, but Tina is one of my oldest friends.
4: Hey, just do this for me. Okay. They worked really hard all the way through campaign season and they're
5: exhausted.
1: (sighs) Hi Hi
4: there,
5: there, Dave. Dave.
2: (laughs) Bob and Julie Wilson. Part of Portland's strong middle class hardworking, industrious, and always willing to bring a casserole to a friend in need, stroll through a park listening to a senior, or randomly shake the hand of a fireman, who wouldn't gladly welcome them into their home? This message brought to you by the friends of Bob and Julie Wilson.
4: Uh, Hey, Dave. (laughs) Uh,
2: Good one. Where did that music come from? (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. You're so sweet. Uh, Where's Tina? Tina Johnson. She said she would have dinner ready at 8. She said it wouldn't be burnt. But look at this table. Empty. That's right, empty as her promises. Can you really count on Tina Johnson to bring you an on-time dinner that doesn't taste like an old shoe filled with a burnt foot? You'd have a better chance of building an igloo in hell with an ice cream shovel. This message brought to you by husbands who need another scotch.
4: Dave, that's not necessary
1: I'm sure Tina... Oh, there she is in the kitchen Hi, Tina Bob and Julie Wilson Salt of the earth The backbone of America They thought they'd be treated to a nice dinner And some adult conversation they were dead wrong. Dave Johnson is so drunk he can barely see straight. Orangutans with head injuries have more sense. Stick with Dave Johnson, and you're on an express train straight to Nowheresville. This message brought to you by the Committee to Pull Out a cannibal Pass.
4: Uh, Julie, maybe we should yeah, just... You, know, you uh, guys
1: seem like you're working through some issues, yeah. so we're just going to head out. And <laughs>
2: January 2007 Christmas party. Sorry, we can't make it. Tina's 40th birthday. Mother died, can't come. Now it's October 2010, and they gotta head out. Bob and Julie Wilson, are they really who they say they are? Last week, Julie ate at a falafel stand. You know who else eats falafel? Osama Bin Laden.
6: Uh...
1: Uh, what? Hey, are, are you calling me a terrorist? Well, uh, you
2: can't talk to my wife like that, okay? You,
4: uh, you... Six
1: hours in the kitchen cooking for these simpletons, and now they're walking out. They're so rude, I'd rather eat with my own husband, and he's an ungrateful drunk jerk. <laughs> Brought to you by the phrase, you can go straight to hell.
2: What? Well,
1: I don't believe... Yeah, you know what, Julie? Let's get out of this freak show.
2: Uh, never call us again. Bob and Julie Wilson... Isn't it time we said good riddance once and for all? They say they're from back east. You know what else is back east? Mecca. <laughs> it's time for a change. Tina Johnson, now there's someone who can make a tasty meatloaf without plotting to destroy my cherished American freedoms. Brought to you by a drunk Eye, who was hoping to get lucky tonight.
1: Dave Johnson. Loyal, loving, and not half bad for someone half in the bag. I'd not only eat dinner with him, I'd let him post his campaign sign right there in my front yard. I'm Tina Johnson, and I approve this message.
2: I'll approve your message. No,
1: I'll approve your message.
2: Yeah, you're the message. No, you are. No, you are. No, you. All right. (laughs)
1: We met our next guest six years ago when he was one of the first musical guests on our show with his band, Richmond Fontaine. He's still in that amazing band, but now he's an acclaimed author. His first book, The Motel Life, sparked comparisons to Bukowski and S.E. Hinton, and he has been published in 11 countries now. And his latest book, Lean on Pete, has also been a critical favorite. The UK's Independent says Lean on Pete is the archetypal American novel, Huck Finn for the crystal meth generation. (laughs) Please welcome author Willie Vlautin to Livewire. Welcome to LiveWire, Willie.
7: Well, Thanks for letting me come.
1: So um, you've been a race fan for a while, and and you write songs uh, in Richmond Fontaine about the track, and I know that you spend a lot of time there, and you write there too as well, right?
7: Yeah, you know, I moved here in 1994 uh, from Reno, Nevada, and I was so uh, homesick. I'd never lived in such a big city, and I wanted to move home, uh, but I was too ashamed to admit that I couldn't take it here. So I started trying to find places that reminded me of Reno, and uh, the track was the best one. And so I, I, I started going out like four times a week, maybe to start out with.
3: hmm
1: So, so you have been a fan of the track for a long time, but this is the first time you've really one of your books has really centered around um, uh, horse racing. Why, why is it that you started that you decided to start writing about it now?
7: Well, you know, I, when I first went out, I was so in love with it, uh, with handicapping with the horses. Uh, it's such a romantic sport. And uh, there was a, a really cute jockey named Twyla Beckner, and I got a big crush on her. So I kept going out and out. And then I, you start worrying about the jockeys, and you start getting uh, attached to certain horses, and you start seeing them go down. And um, it's a rough sport. And uh, I become became more and more conflicted by it. And so eventually I had to write my take on horse racing to kind of lay, uh, lay it to rest.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it does feel... Uh, it, you obviously love it and, and the people who are involved in it, but there, there is some kind of ugliness behind the scenes. So did you feel like after having written this that, you ha- that you'd really sort of come to a comfortable place with it?
7: You know, when I was, I was writing this novel, I, I, I wrote my last novel at, at Portland Meadows. Uh, it's a great place to write. It's like a library that instead of books, they have TVs that you can gamble <laughs> and and so the, and that really worked well for me. And every time you would start falling asleep or you'd get stuck in a story, some maniac would start yelling, and uh, and it was great. And they have a, a chef chef Dale out there now, and uh, they have a, a really nice lady that works in the cafe. Um, so it, it was great for me. And then when I started writing Lean on Pete, it became too much, and so so I quit going to the track for a long time. But it's like a, it's like a, a bad old girlfriend you can't quit. Uh, yeah. I just always keep coming back, and then I'm a very ashamed of myself at times, and then very happy at times to be at the track, but uh, I haven't figured it out yet.
1: Still a little conflicted.
7: Yeah, like most things, I've never figured out anything.
1: You right. know?
7: A, like, I always think I've got a handle on uh, gambling, and then I figure out that I don't, and then I figure out i got a handle on drinking, and then I realize, actually, I don't.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So,
7: uh, yeah, it's all in a blender still. So
1: you're one of those um, oh, humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love to, those. Yeah. I uh, love those guys. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I wanted for you to read a little bit of the book just so that people can get a little idea. Of- yeah,
7: I, I would love to, and, and I would love it if Mr. Chop over there would uh, accompany me. Would that be all right? This is a scene uh, with Charlie Thompson and Lean on Pete, and it's out in eastern Oregon, and, and um, hes I guess it's safe to say he stole a, a, a low-level racehorse And um, now he's stuck in the desert with them and uh, their luck isn't anywhere nice right now. So here it goes. When I woke, it was late afternoon and Pete was just standing there. He had sagebrush stuck to his tail and he was dusty. Every once in a while he'd stomp or move his tail to chase a fly away. But other than that, he looked like he was just sleeping. I got up and went to him. I got the brush off his tail and pet him. Then I took my shoes off and set my feet in the muddy water. This ain't so bad, I said to Pete. If there was enough food, we could probably stay here all summer. And then I laid back and looked up at the sky. There were clouds, but none of them were blocking out the sun. I just have to figure out how to make us money. I'll make sure we're all right, so don't worry about that. We're a family now, and if I can't find my aunt, I'll get a job in a place where you and me can live, and we'll figure something else out. Last night, I started dreaming that I made a ton of money. And one day, Del, your old trainer, came by our place looking for a job. Well, Del, I said to him, as I sat behind a huge desk, if you weren't such a, I might give you a try. If you weren't such a mean pervert, you know, I'd at least lend you a 20. But let me talk to my partner here. Maybe he'll help you out. And then you come in and Dell's eyes would get huge with worry and he'd start shaking. He'd be scared out of his skin. He'd be sweating bullets and then you'd push him outside and he'd start screaming and then he'd get hit by a huge greyhound bus. <laughs> I started laughing at that, but Pete just stood there dozing in the heat. Only his tail moved as it worked against the flies.
1: So Charlie is this incredibly sweet um, uh, 15-year-old kid, and some really rough stuff happens to him in this book. Is it hard sometimes as an author to do mean things to your characters?
7: Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, I get really attached. I I lose track if they're real or not. When I started writing about Charlie Thompson, I was getting really cynical about things, and I was having a hard time, uh, you know, uh, finding reasons to get out of bed, I guess, honestly and uh, I always trick myself, and so I uh, started uh, writing about this kid who uh, gets out of bed, and he always tries, and he's a really cool guy, and he got me out of bed for two years, and uh, he's like a good luck charm to me now. Yeah. So yeah, they become real. Uh, the, last, the main woman in my last book, Alison Johnson, she about did me in, and uh, I, I, she made me a nervous wreck for years because and she
1: was yeah she was she incredibly, was a nervous, incredibly right. anxious right yeah
7: and um, and it, i i was hoping she would survive so i would survive i and with charlie thompson you know uh, it was the same sort of right. thing right you
1: know? right i mean you you've said in the past that you write these stories so that you won't go crazy
7: so yeah so life doesn't implode on you, you you'll write about it hoping that if you can analyze it or get some sort of handle on it that maybe you'll be able to move on. You'll lay things to rest in your life. Sometimes it works, and most times it doesn't. But it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's a great way to, to spend time, I think, for me.
1: And you've created some beautiful stuff.
7: Uh, that's nice of you to say.
1: Um, but don't you think that everyone's terrified? And I mean, I read your, I read your books, and, and it feels like you know that everyone's terrified, and there's just people who are hiding it better than others.
7: Yeah, I agree. I I just have always felt more comfortable if a guy had a a little dent to him, a little bend in him. Uh, I've always been like, when I was a kid, 13, 14, and you'd see some derelict walking out of a a casino in Reno, uh, and my mom would be horrified. I'd go, man, I I would just be drawn to those sort of people, because it's just funner to hang out with people that are a little off, I think. (laughs) If you fail at everything, it's not so bad, and uh, I've always lived like that. And it's not by any means; it's a it's a stupid, foolish way to live. But I've had some laughs. You yeah. Know? Yeah.
1: yeah, I think things are going pretty well for you.
7: At times they do. Yeah, yeah they
1: do. <laughs> yeah. Well, the book is really beautiful. Um, it's just a, it's just a stunning book, and um, it's it's the book is Lean on Pete. Ladies and gentlemen, Willie Vlotton. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks so. and you're listening to Live Wire Radio like a box of entertainment candy, but with none of the cream-filled ones. Those suck. (laughs) And now it's time for the audience haiku. We, We have asked our audience to expound on three subjects in the form of Haiku. Writers, racehorses, and invasive species. Faces for radio theater have chosen their favorites and will now read them with the help of Ralph Huntley. Tonight's haiku is, as always, brought to you by the New Belgium Brewing Company. This month featuring their popular Ranger IPA, which is now available in both draft and bottles. Yes, bottles. You love how they do that thing with the holding of the liquid and have that patented hole of convenience that the liquid passes through to get to your mouth. But you love bottles even more when they have delicious beer in them. Thank you, New Belgium.
2: All right, I have one um, by Ben. Uh, Ralph, can I get some uh, musical accompaniment? Something unorthodox, maybe a little silly. I don't want to say stupid, but um, simple. (laughs) Haikus are easy. Anybody can write one. I love elephants. (laughs) I want to thank Ben for that one. Thank you, Ben. Stay in school, Ben.
4: Uh, Ralph, can I get some uh, creepy pizzicato strings, kind of spiders are crawling all over the place kind of stuff? There we go. Small little buggers crawling up on everything. Who wanted these kids? This was Anonymous. Who wants to fess up? Okay, because Family Services is here, and they will, they will find you.
2: Ralph, can I get some kind of um, inspiring Chariots of Fire type music? <laughs> can it be less Barry Manilow and more soaring? <laughs>
0: How much, how much less Barry Manilow do you need? <laughs> A lot. <laughs>
4: Champion last year. Fastest stallion in town.
1: Now, glue and dog food.
2: <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, one of you from the audience to read her very own haiku, please welcome Anna.
0: I have
5: something equestrian. Can
0: I put some uh, Barry Manilow in there? Yes, you
5: can. <laughs> Nostrils flare, hooves pound. Small man sitting on my back. I wish he'd get off.
1: You're listening to Live Wire Radio With music, conversation, and comedy We stimulate every part of your brain Even the parts you thought you killed Doing beer bongs at college keggers We'll be right back Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Sean Flynn and the Royal We.
3: Thank you very much. We just released a new record called Write Me Novel. This next song is called Fossil Radio. I can just make out the words As I'm driving down the road From my stereo It's a song my father sung Long before I was his son Just a signal in the dark Without a radio Now this late night show Is calling out my name It was the same The same old song I put my ear up to the shell and from that dusty spiral well I heard the oceans ebb and flow from the fossil radio I heard a constant melody right from the static sea it was the same up the veil, just to find that we're in jail. And the bars are made of bone, but all we've ever known. The walls are made of skin, from the moment we begin, until the warden. been screaming out in the middle of the night just a signal in the dark without a radio singing you're not alone there are fossils in your bones and there are stories in your blood oh you're not alone my song, is this my story, is my how, is this my glory, if it's the same old song, if it's the same old song, if it's the same old song.
2: Music tonight brought to you by Dave's Killer Bread and the bread of the week, Good Seed Killer Light. You know how in the Bad Seed, that weird girl, the pigtails, (laughs) did all that mean stuff? Well, this is the opposite of that. Nothing but whole grains, omega-3s, and fiber. Man, that girl was weird. (laughs) Dave's Killer Bread, just say no to bread on drugs.
1: And now, as promised, he's been working furiously in the the audience for 56 minutes. Uh, Please welcome back to the stage, Scott Poole.
8: What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole Being a poet, I often get asked if I'm going to write one of those novel things. Fine. I'm just going to write it right now. And it's not going to have Betty White in it either. So if you ask me if I wrote a novel after the show, you can just go straight to uh, think of a new question. My novel stars a man named Willie Williams who lives in Reno, Nevada, who stopped being a fan of humanity from reading the jackassy comments on how-to-gamble videos on YouTube. He drinks, he sticks the empties and torn open backs of his couch, and then burns it down for no reason. He's kind of a loser with a cursive L. He works at a bookstore and listens to the royal wee and whenever anyone comes in, he throws a book at their head. Hey, what the heck, says random customer. Didn't expect that, did you, says Willie. Now you could go read, but just suspect you might get hit in the head any time. That's life, baby. Listen, you need to listen to this band because they will come to define you. And I just want to buy a book and not be a nervous wreck, says random customer. Well, I don't want a mamby pamby book reader in here. I want someone with fire in their gut, someone you could clap quickly to a fandango beat <laughs> while they read. Because you need to, if Sean Flynn is on the radio, you need to be somebody ready to duck. So get the heck out. Just when Willie is at his lowest, a woman named Jamie Jenny walks in and perfectly ducks the first book thrown at her. Did I look like George Bush when I did that? (laughs) She has a peg leg and talks like a pirate. Willie is instantly in love. At this point, several thousand people are watching and judging the performance because Jamie Jenny is part of a live dating performance where a million people watch. Tweets start coming in. You sure he's the one? He looks like Huck Finn for the Crystal Meth Generation. (laughs) He looks like he hangs out at the track too much. Maybe if he wasn't such a mean pervert that got hit by a Greyhound bus. Things don't look good for Willie, do they? But Willie says, you know, baby, I know your tweeting twit friends don't like me by the millions, but I'm a simple man who likes to chuck books, yell at customers, a man who just wants to hold his pirate last tight, like she's being squeezed between two ocean-going sea ships until her face turns red and her hair turns white, and she looks just like Betty White. Damn it. (laughs) Only 400 pages more to go. Thank you. (laughs)
2: Our thanks to our guests tonight, Jamie Ford, Jenny Shortridge, Willie Vlotton, and Sean Flynn and the Royal Wee. The Mutton Chops were Ralph Huntley, Jim Brumberg, and Dave Jorgensen. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Fitch & Associates, the Falcon Art Community, and Willamette Week. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Oregon Cultural Trust, James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners such as you, Fine People. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Hotel Deluxe. Livewire is created and produced by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tannenbaum. Technical production by Jim Brumberg from Mississippi Studios. Recording engineering by Jonathan Newsom. House sound by Jeff Simmons. Thank you to Rose City Sound. The faces for Radio Theater are writers Courtney Hommeister, Tyler Hughes, and Sean McGrath, and performer Laura Faye Smith. Live Wire's house poet and this show's guest writer was Scott Poole. Foley sound by David Ian. Production management and lighting by Drew Flint. Theme by Courtney Vondrily and Ralph Hutley. Craft services by Whole Foods Market. Graphic and web design by Danger Creative. Web development by Amalgamotion. Podcast consulting by Morley Studios. Our operations manager is Adrian Schaefer. Publicity by Cassell Communications. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at LivewireRadio.org.
0: Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy.